Romans chapter 2, if you will. Make sure I'm up and on. I am. 1 Thessalonians 2. We're going to, we're, we're continuing the theme of the Grace Reset, and uh, this is lesson number seven in that. And uh, just really in, in, in the thought process of, of having our, just kind of adjust our thinking back to uh, the wonderful message of grace, the wonderful grace of God, and, and to think about some things that, that maybe sometimes we don't really think about, and then you'll hear me say something, and you'll go, wait, what? You know, and this and that, and just really kind of bring ourselves back into a, to, uh, to kind of cent- recenter. Um, I had been planning on doing this uh, last year after all the COVID and everything kind of calmed down and so forth, but we got to looking at other things. And what I want to do this morning with you is just introduce to you the grace life. And because that, that's something that we need to then begin to think about. And the, the issue here over the next couple of weeks is going to be about the grace life. And I'm going to give some thing, just kind of give an overview, treetop it today. And next week we'll start in getting down into the weeds and some of this. And in doing so, just to welcome you to the grace life, honestly, and to look at some things that Paul talks about that when we go out into the world gets thrown at us. Uh, one, the Word of God. We talked to a gentleman yesterday. He didn't believe we had the Word of God. He believed it was over here on the tree stump and, and so forth. Okay, well, what, do you, what about the Word of God? Then we talk about prayer. Prayer is a big one. What about the will of God? That's a big issue. Uh, you talk about the sign gifts. That's a big issue. Uh, we talk about the issue of intervention. Does God intervene today? That's a big issue. Do you talk? So we're going to look at the issue of God chastening. Okay, so we can say, "Amen," and we'll go home. Right? I just gave it all to you. Okay, wrong. <laughs> but the thing of it is, is when you begin to look at these things, and, and and by the way, also the grace of God being sufficient, being what has equipped us. And, and as with anything, as you came into the room here above the door, there's a wood plaque back there that says, What saith the Scripture? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, To the church there at Thessalonica, a, a, a mature church, a grown-up church, and he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us. Now, think about that. Here's Paul. Thessalonians is probably, well, it is one of his earliest books. Me personally, I believe he wrote Galatians first, but 1 Thessalonians would be a close second. But yet he's been in Thessalonica teaching them. And he says, when you heard me preach and teach you, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. So when Paul goes out and he's doing his apostolic ministry and he's getting going, when they heard the word, they said, you know what, that isn't man-made. That, 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 okay. But then he says, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Understanding this, these issues and then moving them from knowledge and bringing in them into the details of life is where I want us to go. Okay? Come back over to 1 Corinthians 8. We have a verse about that. 1 Corinthians 8. 
You see, it's not enough to know it. See, it's not enough to, to be able to, we were talking yesterday about how to handle, how to answer questions. It's, it's, it's one thing to be able to answer the question and have a verse and be able to talk and to discuss. Uh, we had a couple Spanish guys come by, give them a Spanish track, you know. I don't know if they could understand us or not, but yet we have the track, we're able to handle and so forth. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when we get to know the information, but yet then we move it down into the details of life. What motivates you to go stand at the swap meet for five hours, six hours, talking to people, passing tracks out? You just don't go there because it was a beautiful day yesterday, and it was. There's something motivating you. There's, some, there's a life force pushing you. And that's what we're going to talk about. Chapter 8, verse 1, uh, he says, Now is touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. You see, we know some things about the issue of offering things, in this case, with the, at Corinth, things offered to idols. We know that the idol is just a dumb, dumb thing. It's not a... It, actually, he says down there, verse... Uh, Six, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. But then he says what? Howbeit there is not in every man, what? That knowledge. We have some knowledge, but yet it's not worked itself down into the details of life. So verse 8, knowledge, what? Puffeth up. But charity edifieth. Now you think about that. N- knowledge, if not knowledge improperly applied, is going to give you a fat head. It's going to make you high-minded. Hold on to here. Look over at chapter ten, this of uh, First Corinthians, chapter ten, verse twelve. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he what fall. You see, knowledge is going to do what? Knowledge will puff you up. It'll get you a high-minded. And by the way, Paul says we're not to be high-minded. We're to mind the things of over here. We're to be careful with this. So it isn't enough to know. I was telling the folks Tuesday or uh, Friday night, we we don't study the Bible rightly divided to win the argument. Okay, we don't study the word rightly divided to show how much more we know than anyone else. We study the word rightly divided so we know what God would have us to do and how he would have us to live. Whether you choose to live this way or not, that's between you and the Lord. But I choose this. Jeremiah, it's for my house, we choose to follow the... I'm choosing this based upon these verses. So when we talk about knowledge here, what is the goal? The goal is charity. Charity does what? It edifieth. Charity, it takes that knowledge and, and, and it allows that information to work down into the inner man. That's why we started with you and how you are equipped and shaped, the soul, the body, the, the soul, the spirit, and the body, and how the design is for the word to come in and to, and to sit in your mind and your spirit and your thinking, and then your heart and your will say, I'm going to believe that and reach up and pull it down in, and then your will says, your volition says, let's go do that, and, and, let, and the emotions go tell the body to go, because so, your soul has emotions, but your body has emotions too. 
now let's go do that. And then your conscience pops up and says, yeah, you're right in line with what we decided to do. Good boy. And then you, that, that other little voice in your head says, nope, you missed it. Boom. <laughs> let's get back over here. Knowledge. Understanding. Having the information on board. But yet it's moving it from up here down into activity. The grace life. Life that I'm going to live where you live. Okay, you can't live this where I live. <laughs> okay, I, I live a little different than you at my stage of life. Empty nesters. Woohoo! Finally. But don't tell my wife that. Because she's done had them move back in like ten times. They haven't, but she's had it, you know. Why? Mom, mother. But the thing is, is I'm in a di- you're in a different place. Charity edifieth. If you will just allow me real quickly, come back over to, to 2 Timothy. Actually, 1 Timothy. Sorry. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy 1. So when we discuss the grace life, that's what we're really after. Get the information. You've got to have the knowledge. But then let's move it down into the details of life. Let's move it into our conversation. Let's move it into our vocabulary. Let's move it. That's why if you read three chapters a day, Romans to Philemon, it'll change your vocabulary. It'll change the way you think about things. It'll change the way you perceive things. It won't change the fact that you still got to go to fries and buy dinner. You got it, okay? It doesn't change the fact that we're going to go hike Pylestor Peak. You're halfway there. It doesn't change any of the activity. It just what? The perception of it. By the way, we were climbing. I called Jeff a liar quite a bit going up. He just didn't hear me. Because <laughs> he would say, we're halfway there. I look up, I ain't no way, man. We're, not, we're more than halfway. Where is? And it, was, it, it got to be comical, okay? Finally, I think I did say, you lie like a rug, man. <laughs> you know? But it doesn't change. It just changed how you do what? How you perceive. How you think about it, Okay? Actually, my legs have recovered, so I'm ready for camelback when we can, okay? So the thing is, is what, what you're doing there, that's what we're talking about. Look, look at 1 Timothy 1. Just catch this real quick. As I besought, verse 3, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other, what? Doctrine. The doc, Pauline doctrine. What are they doing at Ephesus? The great church at Ephesus, he spent three years there at least. And what are they doing now? They're leaving him. They're forsaking him. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. That's why we were talking about the way that the the epistles are structured. And we went back and we looked at doctrine, reproof, and correction, the edification process, because that builds into that inner man. Now watch verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is what? Charity. Do you see the end result over here of, not, of, of staying with the doctrine, of teaching godly edification? What is the end result? What's the goal? What's the end? Charity. You don't get charity until you've done what? Brought in all the doctrine, all the information. But, but what did 8.1 tell us? It's going to puff you up if you don't what? Move it into life. Have it become charity. Because charity edify it. Now what's the goal? With all this information I've got on board, what's my goal? To do what? To edify. 
how do I help you? Well, sometimes helping somebody is by not saying anything, but it's by living a certain lifestyle. It's action. And actually, we'll see as we go through this, you have a greater impact on people by what you don't do and what you do do than what you've ever said. And we understand that. Come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9, we know verse 7 very well. Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. By the way, it's interesting. We were talking about Greek, <laughs> uh, Greek words. If you look at the Greek in this, and I did this because I heard somebody say this, and I was like, I'm going to go make sure that what they just said. And it, it's the same word, it's the Greek word for our happy hour. Well, everybody in the room just went down to Chili's and happy hour and getting everything for free. But what do you do in happy hour? Woohoo! happy, happy hour. So actually giving in the offering box is to be a happy hour. So the hour just started, okay? <laughs> right? There you go. And that's how I heard it. So I went to make sure. I'm like, I don't know. Let's make sure that's right, you know? <laughs> yeah, what a con. Is that exactly right? Now look at verse 8. So the context here is giving. That, that's why I read verse 7. It's, the issue is giving, okay, and how we're to give. Verse 8, and God is, may, is able to make all, think about that, God is able to make all, all of this. See that? He's the one doing this. Well, wait a minute. How does he do it? He does it through the word working in. The word effectually worketh in you that believe. So when I take in the word and I believe the word. That means I'm going to get out of its way. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to, hey, it says what it says. I'm going to go do what it says. I'm in obedience of faith. He's able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency. You're able to stand alone. You lack nothing that you may be able to abound to every good work. The good work there is the issue of giving. That's why I read verse 7. God is able to do what with you? Fully equip you. Colossians 2.10, we're complete in Him. Ephesians 1.3, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings. Come over to 1 Timothy 4. Okay? He's able to fully equip you. He has equipped you completely. He just didn't bore a hole in your head and dump it all in there. What do you got to do? You got to go study. What, what motivates you to study? Study to show thyself approved. And the approval there isn't justification or status and position in Christ. The approval there is my life is an approval. I'm not, in 2.14, he talks about words to no profit. I have, I'm not speaking words of no profit here. I'm not just babbling. I'm over here doing what, I'm rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm doing what it's supposed to be doing. Now look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. You've you got to pay attention when Paul says that. I know the Spirit wrote the book. But you know what Paul says? He spoke specifically about this. <laughs> he speaketh expressly. Expressly. He just didn't say, welcome to church today, boys and girls. We're going to... No, man, boom! He got into it expressly. That in the latter time, some shall depart from the faith. 
giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if received with thanksgiving. Notice what's happened. Troubles come, hasn't it? We're in the last days. We're in the perilous times. Now watch verse 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things. Isn't that interesting? We are, the word of God says that we are to be reminded. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Very fascinating. Every little word's important. Good doctrine versus what? Well, you would think bad doctrine, right? But is there not doctrine about abstaining from certain meats in the Old Testament? Yeah, there are. There's dietary laws all through that Old Testament. So now we got what? Now we've got Bible doctrine, Old Testament, abstain from meats, versus sound doctrine, wholesome, good. So what are we to do? We're to we're to remind, there's to be a remembrance. Why? Because we need to be reminded, don't we? You know? I, 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 yeah, exactly. What day is it? <laughs> we need to be reminded. Why? Because in the details, in the day-to-day, sometimes we kind of lose sight. And we need to be recentered, brought in. Well, keep reading. Verse 13. Just go down. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Very fascinating. There's some great advice. Give attendance to reading. Okay? So we read three chapters a day, Romans to Philemon or Genesis to Revelation, however you want to do it, it's fine. But I'm going to tell you that Paul's not only talking about that, but he's also talking about being well-read. There's a reason why he could go do battle with the Epicureans and the Stoics. On Mars, because he knew what they believed. Folks, you ought to know who your who your who the troublemakers are and who that what they believe. If I said you ought to the Mormons, you ought to know something about. By the way, you know what the Mormons are? They're sinners lost on their way to hell. You know what they need to hear? A non-works gospel. That's what they need to hear. By the way, Jehovah's Witnesses are the same way. But when they start spewing their spewing, excuse me, when they start saying their stuff. You gotta know you need to understand because what do they have? They got verses, don't they? Just not rightly divided. They make them say something that they're not saying. You need to understand. You see, well read. You ought to know what's going on. By the way, that's not reading the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, or any of that, so you know what I know. You can read that too if you like. But it's all but it's understanding what's going on around you. Situational awareness. We're talking about it in Romans 16, marking them. You know what's going around. The first time I went door to door here, we were just starting a Bible study in my living room, and I have 438 homes in my neighborhood. So I went to Kinko's, because Kinko's was the place to go at the time, and I made a door hanger, made it in yellow, because I had red, yellow's the color, I knew what Domino's guy said about marketing, and you're gonna hang, you got to hang it at least eight times before they look at it. I was all prepared, and I go out, and the first door I knock on, we gave it the office, slam. 
Mike. Okay. Second door. What stake are you a part of? That's what they're asking me. And I'm like, steak? I love steak, but what are you talking about? Well, you know what I you know what you know how I was dressed? White shirt, tie, dress pants? I had no clue. I'm out knocking on doors. That's what you do. You're gonna you get out and talk to people. You know what I look like? A little the Mormon guys on the bicycle. The stake was what part of the what stake the you know the church do you belong to? Because well, who was I knocking on? I was knocking on a, 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 a Mormon's door. Any, you know, I didn't know. So I go down to the library, Mesa Public Library, and I'm looking up trying to figure this stuff out. They don't have a lot of stuff down there at the time. This is pre-Google. So I get out the Encyclopedia Britannica, and I'm looking up, you know, why? Because I didn't understand. So then the next time I go out, I'm in shorts and flip-flops and a tank top. And you know what? Nobody would open the door because what's this crazy fool doing? Yeah. What's he selling? Solar panels, you know. <laughs> you know, it's not. So, but what do you, you understand what's going on, right? Why? You got to read up on what's happening in your neighborhood. What happens here can't happen, doesn't happen the same in Chicago. I remember going out at Shortwood in, in the old building on Neva, and you're talking about Roman Catholic, whoa, boom. You, you, you know, it's like, forget it. You know, that's what we're talking about. When, it's, when he talks to her, give attendance to reading. Yeah, reading the scriptures, that's daily. That needs, But also being aware of what's happening around you. The last time I had any interaction, by the way, with the Mormon missionaries on the bicycles, I was working and they came up to help me. And I said, I don't want you to get your white shirt dirty, so just let me finish what I'm doing, but you can talk to me. And they're like, well, have you ever thought about I said, I actually, I have. Have you ever thought about where you would spend eternity if you died? Well, I'm going to heaven. How, how do you know that? And then he gave, and, and, and I understand where they're going. Why? Because I had read up about it. Now, that doesn't mean I go spend 10 hours a week reading up. I just get a general idea, and then we go. Because the guy, it was fascinating. I was dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses one time, and the lady looked at me, and she goes, well, we're just going to have to go get one of the other elders. And I'm like, okay. I said, fine. You know where I'm at. Mark me on your thing there. Sure enough, the next day, here comes two guys. And ready to set me straight. Well, I had a bumper sticker on the back about Christ died for your sins. So when they walked up, they read it. I saw them walking up. The dogs are barking. You know, I got eight dogs. They're barking. And I and then and then he, the guy walked up and he says, "Well, you know, I understand." And I said, "Hey, come on in." He goes, "Oh no, 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 no. We'll do it right here." I'm like, "Okay. Here, why don't you read this?" And I handed him an "Am I going to heaven?" track. And he, "Oh no, 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 no." But you can read this. I said, "No, no, 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 no." Hey, you just, what's going on here? Understand. By the way, you know where that guy, he's lost on his way to hell? Gave him the gospel. He goes, well, I believe that, but you also have to, I'm like, then you don't believe that. Had no concept of what faith was, non-meritorial activity. It's not, he had verses. Ooh, did he have verses? But just not where, right? Trouble's coming, see. Verse 15, great advice, meditate. I love that. Meditate. You yoga fiends, meditate. I had, a year, I had a resolution one time to lose weight. So I was at the gym working out, and I twisted, and I sprained my fat. Exactly. 
So then I get home and my wife bought me a bike. It's for sale, by the way. Practically brand new. It's got 750 yards on it. <laughs> Ba-boom, okay? That's a joke. Those are jokes. Everybody's looking, is he serious? <laughs> no. That's a, no, what happens here? Meditate. You know, you think about meditate. Upon what, though? These things. Give thyself wholly to them, they, that, that thy profiting may appear to who? To all. Isn't that interesting? Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Save thyself, not justification unto eternal life, but save you from verse 1, 2, and 3. The seduction policy and plan. Hey, if you meditate and you pay attention and you read and you stay right here, the end result of the grace life will impact your life, but also those around you, and it will impact them positively. It will help them. It will help them understand that of what's going on. You see, folks, when we talk here about grace, the grace life, yeah, you're going to do it right now. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your work life. It'll change your relationship. It'll change every component and there's, again, there's some areas that help. Come back to 1 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 11. Some great advice there, by the way, from our apostle. Meditate, think on them, take heed, pay attention. Why? Because it'll impact you, it'll help you, but then it'll help those around you as well. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, a, a verse that, if you've been around us any length, is something that we need to remember. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds. This is a mind war. Okay? Minecraft. You know the game in our mind. This is for your mind, for your thinking. Why? Because if I can let it in, up here, mind, up here, in my spirit, if I let it in here, what's it going to do? It's going to infiltrate everything else. Because now it's on my thinking. It's in my thinking. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about Adam and Eve. They're made in the image of God. There's a simplicity in Christ. This is who you are. How simple is that? <laughs> this is who you are. Yet, what, what did the Lord do? You remember? He put that tree of the knowledge of good and evil out there. And then Satan comes in and says, yeah, he don't want you to know that because he did this and that. And you know what she did? She left who she was in Christ and fell for the deception. He didn't have to do much, by the way. He just had to, yea, did God say it. Again, right back to the Word of God. See? Same with you and I. We need to remember that. Folks, this is who we are in Christ, and yet what happens in life? Things come along and drag us away, and we need to be back into that. Come back real quick, 1 Corinthians 15, the end of that chapter. A great chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 on the issue of the resurrection. Could you imagine a church at Corinth who was questioning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? The very component of, the, of Paul's gospel. Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again according to the Scripture, and they're questioning that. 
They've had people come in. At the end of it, verse 57, he says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory, success in life is found where? In Christ. It's his life. Again, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet what? Not I, but Christ liveth in me. I go learn who I am. I learn all of that. I see it. And then I bring it down out of my knowledge base into my heart. And then I go live it. I let it influence me. I let it impact me. And then I go out and I put it into shoe leather. And then that impacts others around me. And that's the way that the life is designed to move. Your Christian life, folks, will never operate on the basis of ignorance. You've got to know. You've got to have that knowledge, wisdom, under, right up here in your head. But then you also got to let it move down in and impact you. Because then all you're going to do is just run into that bloody, you're going to bloody that block wall, and you'll never understand it. All you got to do is move right over to the door and go out it. And there it is. And the very first issue... Come, over, come back with me to 2 Corinthians 2. The very first issue in our Christian life, the very first question that you need to settle is that is the issue of the final authority in your life. No matter whether you're right or wrong, agree or disagree, that Bible, the Word of God, the Holy Bible, the King James Bible, is the final authority. And when I'm wrong, and it's right, it's what? It's right. When I agree with it, then I'm in good company. 2 Corinthians 2, if you just look at verse 17, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. They're corrupt. This is a textual corruption of the word. Chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 2. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. This is making the word say, spiritualizing something that doesn't need to be spiritualized. It just needs to be left alone. When you hear people say you're spiritual Israel, you're new Israel, you're replacement Israel, what are they doing? They're handling the word of God deceitfully. They're bringing in a theology and trying to cram it into the verse. And it's just not there. Again, we started 1 Thessalonians 2. The word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. The very first issue in your Christian life you've got to hammer home and have solid and on the ground is, is about the book. It's about which book. Where is it? And I'll tell you what, my go-to is Hebrews chapter 10. When he says, Lo, in the volume of the book it is written of me. The center character of that Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you use a Bible, by the way, if you use a new version, you ought to use it all the time, 100%. Don't be chicken and use it only when you need to go to do battle with somebody. Use it all the time. I, I had a friend of mine, he had every version on the wall. I asked him, I said, which one do you use? He goes, it depends on what I'm doing. I'm like, really? 
You guys know Rick Warren? You know his big book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life? You go read the back end of that book. That man uses every Bible known to man in that book to, to promote his idea. Yeah. Well, then, what does James say? A double-minded man is unstable in his ways. It's like, wow, okay. Folks, you got to have a concrete answer. You know why you need to have an answer? Because you need to know where the second issue that comes up, you need to know where to go find the will of God. Come over to Ephesians. Uh, well, well, you're in 2 Corinthians. Look at get, uh, Colossians 1. and get, Well, get Ephesians 1. Let's just do that. And Colossians 1. Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. You see, folks, when you start, when you start thinking about how you're going to live, are you going to pull the Rick Warren book off the shelf or Joel Osteen or Joyce Myers or any of those guys and go, okay, that's how I'm going to live life? Or do you come into the book that says, here's how you live life because you know you got it? I mean, I've had people say, hey, you just do, you just use a King James because your daddy used it when you were. No, I use a King James because I sat and studied out the issue for myself. And that Hebrews 10 where he quotes Psalms about low, I, the volume of the book concerns me. And then I read passages that deteriorate and take away from the Jehovahness of the, of the Son. They take away from Him, who He is. Boom, I just set them over there and I don't even give them away. They, just, they go to the dump. Colossians 1, verse 9. Well, we're going to do, we're going to do both. What did I tell you? Both? Okay, Col- Colossians 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye may be filled, now watch, with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You see that issue about being filled with the knowledge of His will? The Father's will, the Godhead's will, is made known. It's knowable. Come back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. How do I know that? Because Dr. So-and-so said so? No, because I got a verse that says it's been revealed. Ephesians 1, verse 8, Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. You know what? That verse is either right or it's wrong. If you don't think you can know the will of God, if you don't think you can understand that, then you think verse 8 is wrong. Because what does verse 8 say? He hath, that means he's done this already, abounded toward us in all wisdom and understanding. See that? That means he's done this. How did he do it? Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Isn't that fascinating? According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together and one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Before the foundation of the world, the Godhead had a meeting. They designed a purpose. He put a title on it called glory, verse 17, the father of glory. He birthed this plan called glory. He puts it into action. The Godhead comes in and does... And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep this part of my will a mystery. I'm going to keep that a secret. This part of my will concerning the earth, I'm going to make it known. And I'm going to reveal it by the mouth of all the holy prophets, starting with Adam. Adam was a prophet. Well, 
you don't get that on the theological section. You get that where? Reading the verse. Putting the verse together. Saying that's what it is. So can I know the will of God? That verse says I can. Not looking for a signpost. Not looking for something. I, I always remember the preacher, the kid was preaching, a young man was preaching, he gets done preaching, and the, the head deacon says, what, what, who told you you need to preach? He goes, well, I was out in the cornfield planting corn, and I looked up, and there's in the sky, says, G-P-C. And I took that to go preach Christ. And the old man, the, the older deacon looks at him, well, well, couldn't that man go plant corn? <laughs> in other words, you're not very good at this. <laughs> You see, none of that, none of that mystic stuff a hoodley do out there, religious superstition. Hey, if you want to preach and teach, 1 Timothy 3 says, if a man desires the office, woo, you got to understand, where do you get that? I get that from knowing I've got the book, and in the book he's made all thing, all sufficiency, all grace, all of it known to me. And I'm not out searching for my inner impressions. And what I want done, because when that's the case, now we're in trouble. You're in Ephesians. Go back to Colossians 2. So then the question comes in, well, then does God intervene today? If we got the will of God, we know it, does he intervene? The answer to that question is yes. But he doesn't intervene the way you think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John or the Old Testament. There are two ways that the Lord intervenes in your life. Colossians 2, verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. When did, were, did you become complete in him? What event? So justification, right? So at the moment of your salvation, he intervenes into your life to make you a full-grown adult son, to bless you with all spiritual blessings, to baptize you into one body, to do a whole bunch of stuff to you. Okay? It's called the operation of God. He does He intervenes there. Okay? The second way he intervenes, 2 Timothy 3, in verse 16 and 17. You've got to think about this. What does 2 Timothy 3, 16 say? All Scripture. Uh-oh. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that, here's why, the man of God may be what? Perfect. What does that mean? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the second way that he intervenes into your life is on a daily basis when you are where? In the Scripture. Because what's the Scripture designed to do? Instruct you in righteousness. That when you go out, you can understand that what you're doing is is right or wrong? It's right on. Am I doing what the will of God says for me? How do I know? I got the book. How do I know? How? So he does intervene in your life, just not like sitting on your shoulder going, go left, go right. That's Google. That's Helga. I used to have a GPS unit when the first ones, you remember the first ones that come out, they took up the whole windshield, you know? It's like, uh, uh, you need to turn right. And I missed it. Go down and make a U-turn, fool. Turn right. You know? <laughs> okay, you know? He's not doing that. He's speaking to you right here. And he says, hey, you need to understand that you're gonna, I want you to be furnished unto all good works, and the way you do that is all Scripture. Get it in there. Read three chapters. Oh, I hope you catch this. 
It's critical. It's life. What motivates you to go and stand for six hours? What did we do? Nine to two? Eight to two? Seven to two? You were there earlier. <laughs> Stayed later. What, make, what does that? It isn't the bunions and the you know, feet hurt. And it's not that. 1 Corinthians 11. By the way, you see, hold on to 2 Timothy 3. Just hold on there. So does God intervene? Yeah, he does, just not the way you think about it, not the way religion says so. So then, well, okay, then, then how does God chasten me? Or does God chasten me? Well, 1 Corinthians 11 says that he does. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 32 but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So you are chastened, but how does he chasten it? How does he do it? 2 Timothy 3.16, what did he do to you? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for what? Reproof for correction for instruction. That's chastening. He doesn't reach down and smack you on the back of the head. He doesn't reach over and manipulate and move things in life. He comes along and he says, okay, you're in this situation. Let's see the decision you make. That was a good one or that was a bad one. And here's the verses that are going to be. That's why reading gets it into your inner man, into your thinking. That's why having the book, get it in there, get that thought process going. Why? Because then you can look and say, you know what? Man, I don't need to do that. I can do that. I can do this. I can do that. Follow Okay, you're in uh, 1 Corinthians, I was, you are, look at chapter 12, verse 1. Now brethren, I'm sorry, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And then in verse, chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul puts to bed the fact of the issue of the spiritual gifts. I'm not a gift, I'm sorry. Okay? My wife thinks I am. Not really, but I like to say that. It makes me feel good. Okay. See, what you gotta understand. He's gonna what is he gonna expound unto him the end of chapter twelve? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And you know what the more excellent way is? The the finished and the completed word of God. Why? Because all scripture is given, it's profitable, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Then he moves. Come on over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Because then when we get going in life, sometimes we stub our toe. Sometimes we have issues. Sometimes we have to forgive. So then how does forgiveness work? One of the biggest emotional stressors in a Christian life is this issue of forgiveness. How am I going to have emotional stability in the issues of forgiveness? Well, what does the book say? Ephesians 4.32, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take that verse and go, what in the world does that mean? Well, you're going to do that. But if you come over to chapter, well, stay there in verse 32. Be ye kind one to another. I, man, growing up, we had to write, this was our discipline as teenagers. I had two brothers that are younger than me, and we, we never really got along all the time. And, and Dad quit corporal disciplining us and made us start writing Bible verses. 
And this one in the soft answer, turneth away wrath, was primo verses, man, growing up. <laughs> you know why? Because we didn't have soft answers with each other. And we needed, But what do you do? Tender heart, forgiving one another. Why? What do you know? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath what? Forgiven you. You know what it is to be forgiven. And what we're going to learn when we get over here and we talk about forgiveness is forgiveness is a decision, a choice based on the act of your will done by faith before God and where you choose to give up your right to hold another person accountable for the wrong that they've done. And we'll see, when Christ died at Calvary, what did he do the, to the, with the wrong of sin? He dealt with it, didn't he? So you're going to deal with the wrong, but then what are you not going to do? Pull it back out later and use it. It's done deal. So you're going to learn the issue of forgiveness. By the way, if you look at Colossians 2, I, I gave you that verse if you look at Colossians 2, verse 13, Colossians 2, verse 13, he says, And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, and hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you, how many? All the trespasses. And if you look across at chapter 3, and verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, you know what that means? That you're going to have a quarrel. How do I deal with it? How do I handle it? I handle it even as Christ forgave you. Now look at the end of that verse. So also do you. You know you have no legitimate excuse to not forgive. Yeah, but Rick, you don't know. It doesn't matter. What did you do to Calvary? What did you do to Christ to Christ to cause him to go to Calvary? It took one sin to get Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. And that wasn't a major sin, by the way, when you think about sin, this one sin. You know what you're to do? You're to forgive them. You're to come along. So also do you. You have no legitimate reason to not practice forgiveness. Why? Because that verse says, so also do ye. you got to do it. But I don't want to do it. Well, now we're talking about something else. We're not talking about forgiveness. Now we're talking about you. So we're not going to fix that issue there. You're to do this. So you need to understand that. Now, last one, 1 Thessalonians 5. And I saved the last one here this morning because that's usually the one that gets everybody in trouble. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. So how does prayer work? What's the design behind prayer? What's, why? Because we're in life, aren't we? So Lamentations defines prayer as pouring out your heart to the Lord. So what is prayer? Pray without ceasing. Have you tried that, by the way? Did you climb into your prayer closet? Pray without ceasing isn't a posture. Prayer is not a posture. Now, there are times when you might need to be down on your hands and knees. And that's okay, the seriousness of it. Paul did that. But look, folks, prayer without ceasing. You're pouring out your heart to the Lord about the details of life and how to how do I forgive that idiot because of that? Well, by the way, they're not an idiot. They're a brother in Christ. <laughs> Treat them as a brother, not as an enemy. So how do I, see, how do I do this? How do I come over here and be the best husband, be the best wife, be the best parents, be the best grandparents, be the best employee, employer? How do I do that, Lord? I want to do it so much. I, I want to do that. 
And he says, I'm glad you asked. I got a verse. And you do what? You get in and you study. Or you email Rick. <laughs> Text Rick. And that's fine. That's what I'm here. I'm a helper of your joy. That's life. These seven main areas with a little understanding of, their, of, of what they are and their purpose, it'll give you emotional stability in your Christian life. It'll come in and even out things for you. And when you understand that we have the Word of God, and in it is all the information that we need to answer any question that comes up in life. Now, knowledge isn't puffing up. Now what are we doing? Now the end of the commandment is cherished. Now we're able to go and do and make that influence. And make that issue be not me, not I, but make the issue be the life of Christ. So I would say to you, welcome to the grace life. We're going to just take each one. Again, get in the weeds a little bit with them because you need to understand these. Because without understanding the Word of God, without understanding how He's working, His will, His intervention, His chastening, you will get taken into and away from who you are in Christ into thinking He's doing stuff He ain't doing today. Doesn't mean He didn't do it. And it doesn't mean he will not do he'll do it in the future. He's just not doing it today in the age of grace. And we need that stability. Okay? So hang out a few more months with, with me, would you? <laughs> and let's get into because this is the reset of life. The Tao. You ever watch that? Up one up one day, down the next, sideways the next. Can't, and what do you emotional? I look at my portfolio, which I should have never done, and it looks like a zigzag, you know. A heartbeat. And you know what happens? Oh my goodness, oh no. <sighs> Folks, we're to set our affections on things above, <laughs> not on things on the earth. Now I'm not talking about cash out and don't, li don't understand what's going on around you, but don't let it control your thinking and your mindset. Okay? So what are we going to do? We're going to pray without ceasing. So when you're going down that freeway and you're praying that the idiot in front of you doesn't pull over and cut you off, don't close your eyes and bow your head because you'll be the idiot running into them. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. But what is prayer? It's just talking to the Father. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the folks and for their patience to sit the, and their desire to sit and to learn and to look into these things. And we'll do it all for your honor and for your, your glory. In your name we pray.